Welcome to the Video Insiders Podcast. This is Carlos Pacheco. And I'm Tom Martin. And we are two behind-the-scenes, grizzled, scruffy video channel managers that have been doing this for almost 10 years. Lots of YouTube channels behind us, lots of YouTube networks behind us. Um, Tom, how have you been? I'm getting scruffy by the day, so I definitely didn't think that you're you're watching me through some kind of webcam. Right? <laughs> uh, but you will be happy to know whether you're watching me or not. I've not yet resorted to recording this podcast in my pants or pajamas. I'm still fully clothed in like normalish clothes. So yeah, good. <laughs> Just adjusting to the new quote unquote normal. Uh, I've been saying that now for about three weeks, but that uh, seems to change every week. So, uh, yeah, just getting on, uh, talking to you from the studio, office slash studio. I call it studio because I've started to kind of pimp it up a bit now because I'm doing a lot more Zoom calls. It was looking very drab. Got some nice posters, some artwork, and I've just taken delivery of uh, oh. 48 audio dampening panels to make this uh, sound a little less uh, like a a kid's playroom and a little bit more like a studio. So exciting times in uh, Casa Channel Fuel. And yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't say I'm doing the same. I'm, uh, you know, still in my home, uh, poorly isolated home office that serves as our um, my wife's part-time gym, uh, coronavirus gym. Uh, she's gone, you know, full tilt on uh, getting uh, home fitness equipment uh, to do her her classes and her yoga and all that sort of stuff. And I look at her and I'm like, I need to do that. And I'm like, I just don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, you know, it's funny because like uh, a couple of innovative companies, the local gyms have started promoting the ability to rent equipment uh, for the next few months. And I thought that was a smart idea because I live in a building that has a, a condo. I mean, I'm in a condo complex that has a gym and it was closed two weeks ago because of the coronavirus. And now I'm stuck home and I'm like, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm going to run outside and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, this outside is still in a way risky. So then, you know, I would have loved to rent a treadmill for the next couple of months to do running from home. So it's uh that's that's my current situation gaining a lot of weight eating a lot of bad stuff <laughs> yeah uh, i feel uh, you brother i feel you brother don't worry because when it when it gets to december we'll be uh two santa clauses ready for the christmas special so it'll be fine uh, you know i love all the memes about like you know uh you know, you know our grandfather world war ii and us uh you know what we need to do to, <laughs> yeah. to, to survive and just lie on the couch and play video games or whatever right so that's a little bit of the reality we're gonna get started with another guest this week before we get uh, into the show uh, i want to thank our founding sponsor uh tubebuddy which is the ultimate youtube management YouTube optimization tool that we use every day to manage our YouTube channels, to optimize our YouTube channels. It has a number amount of, of features and tools that, um, that are, could be really practical to sort of speed up your channel management needs. I like to sometimes talk about the features that uh, I use on a regular basis. And another one is that I don't spend a lot of time on thumbnails, even though you know, we recommend that you should, but you know, I'm not exactly the, the best guy when it comes to thumbnails, but I love the fact that there's a thumbnail builder tool within uh, TubeBuddy that makes things super quick and you can set up templates, implement them onto your videos very, very quickly. Tom, we have a special offer for our audience. We do indeed. You can get a world exclusive multi-channel license discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Thank you, Chief buddy. Thank you. Now, onto the show. This week, we have an interview that I conducted a couple of weeks ago, pre-COVID-19 pandemic. So obviously, take that into the grain of salt there. But uh, it's with uh, Gwen Miller. Gwen is the VP of content at Kin 
which used to be called Kin Community. Now it's just called Kin. She's been there for, for the past four years, but she's also been a veteran in the world of digital video for many years. I've known of Gwen for many years because of friends of friends, contacts, and every time I've mentioned her to creators, they all light up and say that she is awesome. I always wanted to have a conversation with her uh, about you know her career, what she's done, what she's seeing over the last many, many years of being in, you know, uh, they, they used to be called MCNs. It's no longer MCNs. They don't longer behave like MCNs, but you know, there's still a lot of experience from, from that space that I think is very valuable to what we do on a daily basis. Yeah, I, am, I must sound like a broken record because I always say, oh, I can't believe I've never met this person because like, it is such a small industry that we work in, especially people that have worked in the, the industry as long as we have. Uh, and for me to kind of not bump into someone is not outrageous, but it's, it's quite rare. So really interested to, to hear what Gwen's got to say, especially because you speak so highly of that. It's had nothing but great things to say. So really interested to hear uh, Gwen's perspective. And, you know, Kin was a company that was on my radar when I first started back uh, in 2012 and was a company uh, and, a, and a YouTube channel that I used to send people to like as i was running a food channel it was like our videos need to look like these videos and they certainly did not look like those videos because kin's kin's cooking videos were absolutely just like food porn beautiful stuff so really interested to hear the views of another industry vet let's get to it Gwen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this because we've been having a lot of guests this year and I'm starting to feel a little self-conscious uh, the fact that there's a lot of guys in the room and I think we do have women lined up, but it's like you're sort of the first one of the year. <laughs> oh, wow. I feel honored. <laughs> Not that we haven't had women. That's obviously, we want to keep things diverse. So anyways... Uh, tangent. I'm very curious about your career. You've been in this oh, yeah. space, in, in the digital network space for many years, and I've mm -hmm. probably crossed paths in a way because you were at Discovery Div Digital Networks. I was. Probably in and, in and around when it was probably still Revision 3. Yes. So I came from like the traditional Discovery side, oh, okay. and we bought Revision 3. So I was there at the time of that that merger and worked very closely with the Revision 3 team. Awesome. So yeah, like get into it. Like how, what's like been your career path? I know. I mean, I, I look back at it and I'm like, geez, when I was in college, YouTube wasn't even a thing. Like <laughs> there was no, like the year I was in film school was the last year they taught us tape to tape editing. Like. Wow. Anyone need some tape, tape, tape editing? I am fully trained in it. But this was like, it wasn't even like literally for us, like viral video was you sent a, a link. And do you remember the Numi Numi guy? That big oh guy? Oh my God, like, yeah. That was like my first viral video. And I wow. loved it. But it never would have occurred to me, oh, like this could be a, a career path. That was just not a thing. So I graduate from college and I spent the first part of my career in TV because that's what there was, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a great time in TV. Like there was the writer's strike. You know, it, it really was pretty clear that the industry was going through some serious you know, upheaval. And, you know, I, I was doing all sorts of stuff in TV. And at one point I was doing uh, uh, just some development sort of things. And I just really felt like we were just doing the same cookie cutter, like that, mm -hmm. the, that cookie cutter had been formed years ago. And yeah, maybe the, you know, the, the little details, what the recipe you put in the cookie batter, like was slightly different. But at the end of the day, we were going off a playbook that had been created for us. And, you know, I I was developing some ideas and I was like, geez, you know, what would make this better if this was interactive? And that was kind of the light bulb moment for me was like, oh, like that is now possible. Like it's just inevitable that everything's going to move that way. And all my friends, if they worked on, you know, what we called webisodes back in the day, like they would hide it on their resumes. They're like embarrassed. <laughs> I don't want people to see this. Like I'm a professional, but I just had to, I needed the money. And I was like, huh, you know, that's going to change. I always have, I always say in five years, uh, in five years, that's going to change. So I, I was like, I'm going to get over there now. So then when they all went over in five years, I'm already here. And that has really worked out 
pretty uh, well for me. And it it ended up just being a much better fit for my personality. Like, this is the place you want to be if you like learning. Like, if you want to learn something once and know it forever, this is not the place for you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. literally, like, you have to relearn everything you know every three to six months. It doesn't stop moving. And I love that because I felt stagnant in TV. And again, that the playbook had been handed to me. There is no playbook here, which is in many ways super frustrating and you know very time consuming in the sense of a mental energy, but I wouldn't have it any other way because like you're just never bored here. That's very true. And it's it's it has a lot of similarities to advertising as well. That's sort of the reason why I stayed for so long. Every six months or every year, you're talking, you're working with new clients and different types of campaigns, and you're always le- learning about new platforms. And I think that's sort of like the digital landscape in a nutshell. Like anybody that works on digital, they sort of understand that they just need to keep changing. Yeah, I've seen production companies come and go and my take when it comes to production companies is that they find one formula and then they don't evolve beyond it. Right. And they just like, Oh, let's rinse and repeat. And we have that, we have our cash cow of a show and we just keep doing it. And that only works until the zeitgeist move on. I mean, it's the same thing with creators, right? They do the same thing where they find their one thing and they rinse and repeat. And then suddenly the zeitgeist moves on and they're not relevant anymore. And you know, onto the new thing. Exactly. Exactly. What's your day to day like? Oh, geez. (laughs) I was just constantly changing. (laughs) It is constantly changing. Like it it really is based on, because we just get to do like, I love about this interview. We get to play in pretty much anything we want to play in. Right. Mm -hmm. But it, it, but it goes very quickly. Like what we experiment with this week is not going to be what we experiment with next week. I was Mm -hmm. laughing with my team today. I was like, I literally have my day to day schedule out in 15 minute increments. There is so much to do. And it's really just, you know, taking the fire hose and being like, what am I going to concentrate on right now? That is going to be the thing that moves the needle. And, And again, this is digital. Like it's all a guess. We're going to make a different guess next week. Like I might be picking the entirely wrong things to move the needle. Nobody knows. And that's the beauty of things. So, and you know, what the great thing is about digital too, is like we do from beginning to end. Like I'm involved in this process of making content from ideation all the way to when it gets published. It's, it's, it's full vertical integration, right? You know, like we're owning the means we're no longer a production company that then makes something. And then you hand it off to a network who then is doing the distribution and then is then going off and doing the, the ancillary, everything like we're doing it from top to bottom. And that just allows for this very seamless, quick turnaround of it's no longer when we were in TV and you know, you would work nine months on this show, you make 18, 24 episodes, and then maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, and then you got canceled almost inevitably 80% of the time. Like, here it really <laughs> is, like, okay, what did we put up this month? What worked? What didn't? You know, let's go through all the data. Let's figure out why it worked, why it didn't work. Okay, what are we going to do this month? And mm-hmm. that is, like, my life over and over again, and, and I love that. That's awesome. It's so funny because, yeah, I'm seeing the same experience working with a couple of clients these days where, you know, I'm coming in with my perspective and I'm like, there's no longer a straight line to like, we just do this. It's sort of like we're doing everything at the same time and we're trying to figure out, you know, how how it gets seen and who gets it and who's making it and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's just, you know, it just gives me some PTSD. Yeah, man, there is that. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you've been in this industry. Basically, when I say the industry, I see the industry of YouTube for practically eight years, right? Yeah, 2011. You've seen it all. I ha- I'm very opinionated on the show, but it's like, what do you think like is the biggest misconception of this ecosystem that we're in? Yeah, this is something that now I'm going to go off on kind of a passion point of mine. It's probably not the direction most people would go, but this is like, this is kind of my pet peeve on how the industry is kind of 
set up how teams work in digital. You know, I've spent a lot of my digital career working with TV people. You know, Kin is really my first pure play digital company. Like before that, I was really in the digital arms of television companies. And, you know, even here at Kin, we work with a lot of celebrities and a lot of uh, television producers. And a lot of what I do is teach TV people how to do digital. And there's many hurdles with them, not the least being that you kind of have to convince them that you can't just make digital better by making it more TV. Like that doesn't work. It does mm-hmm. not unquote, 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 make it better. It's a new medium with a new language. What I find is really interesting with how that is kind of crafted our industry is there is still a big divide between the creatives and the data people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for the creatives, data still for a lot of them is it, 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 it's out there to ruin their creativity. And like, I, I just see the only places data really gets used a ton in our industry is in what we call audience development. Right. And typically mm-hmm. your traditional audience development team in, in our industry is really a majority of their job is focused on, oh, when should we upload? How should we upload? Like, what what should the description be? You know, what are the tags? All that stuff, which is really, really important. But I've seen a lot less emphasis on using um, data with the creatives as, uh, as more of a content, you know, crafting tool. Uh, you know, maybe the creatives look at like, oh, let's see how many views the video has and then feel very driven that they have to be putting out these really high uh, performing videos, but they don't really know why certain videos and why how they structure their content actually affects how it performs. You know, I, I just, it just drives me wild because we have probably the most powerful tools this industry has ever seen. Like, you know, and we're not using it to actually make the content better, just to try to make the content that we make and and try to force it in front of as many eyeballs as possible. So like I've been spending the last couple of years really diving into story structure for digital video. And, and yes, there is one, even in nonfiction, how to unscripted. It's just like in film school when we all went through, uh, you know, uh, script writing classes and learned about story, story structure. There are certain beats that need to happen at certain times to make for a satisfying experience, right? Nobody complains that reading Robert McKee's story in film school somehow ruined their creativity. They just know there are certain beats you need to hit certain times that are going to be satisfying to human psychology, right? If they occur at the at the right points. And so that's kind of what I've been finding over the last couple of years and really working on is what is that in digital in an unscripted video? And again, it changes all the time, but there are certain human things that we have learned that we can then apply to our content to really know, oh, this thing needs to happen here. And maybe we're going to edit down the end of the video because this really needs to be kind of our apex and it's happening way too early in the video or when we're plant the producers are planning the video they kind of know how to structure how they're going into the video from the beginning to kind of get the best content for that very particular unique audience well said bravo very true all, all things that i you know deal with on a regular basis and i've been brought on to clients where you know, they've been focused on the views for many years and nobody, there's no internal data person or no, no real person looking at the analytics beyond the surface analytics to, to really sort of like shape and see what's working, what's not. I totally agree with that misconception. It's it's very uh, broadcaster thinking at the end of the day, oh, right? Yeah. It's It's pushing content out. And I'm not even just talking about YouTube here. Like there's so many platforms out there that give you the recipe that give you all the data that you can shape your content and and shape your message. It takes a different type of creative to sort of take that feedback and shape it. And there's certain creators there out there that are, you know, purists and just want their vision out there. And yes, fine. Maybe YouTube's not the best place for that. Right. So Right. That's something to, to think about. Just to give a little bit of people, the audience, and this is my conception of, of what Kin was and what it is now. Kin started off, from my understanding, as an MCN, but a focused MCN, right? yeah. where you know you guys were focused on, and I keep saying you guys, I just stop saying that, but you're focused on a specific type of vertical, which was DIY, from what I understand, more female focused, which I thought it was very smart. 
because, you know, going broad is a, a complete misconception when it comes to the web. Everybody thinks right. go for the big numbers, but, you know, niche is actually where you get the better money for, for your view and, and the brands that want to be on it. So obviously Kin's no longer an MCN. I think I sort of like, you know, sort of gave the answer, like, well, how was that evolution over the last four years? Because you've been there for the past four years. Uh, which, which is forever in digital, let me tell you. Like, yeah. <laughs> especially having started on TV, which is all like, you know, freelance, you're at a place for nine months to a year. Like this is, this is an eternity, uh, which I love. So Kin is really interesting. It, Actually, Kin is a much older company than you think it is. This company has been around since freaking 2007. What? Stone ages. Yes. Stone <laughs> ages. Literally, it started out making video with bloggers. Spoiler alert, bloggers do not make for very uh, great on-camera talent. Um, and they would put these videos on websites, and then they would, like, sell it to, like, Target. Like, Target, you're going to sponsor th this show called Momversation, where we have mom bloggers talking about their lives. So that was, like, the original iteration of Kin. Um, it was called DECA at that point, Digital Entertainment Corporation of America. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was kind of the first four years or so of a kid's life. Then uh, YouTube started monetizing and they also started doing the whole, their first kind of, you know, funded program. Right. So, Kin, Kin, that at that point, DECA received one of those first batches of funding. And uh, DECA at that point had been doing both male and female content. And I think because we were one of the few companies at that point who wasn't doing like gaming or other male focused stuff, that we did have some sort of women's lifestyle content, uh, YouTube gave us money to do that. So they gave us a, 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 a pot of money. Uh, the team at that point came up with, we'll call it Kin, which is a name that I love. Uh, and they started doing, you know, tons of these women's lifestyle videos. It's still one of the most valuable things I have in my arsenal is we have this library of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women's lifestyle content that's still pushing really good money for us on YouTube. And that we then kind of took with us through the lifespan of the company. And when Facebook started doing video, we, we cut everything down, uh, for in the hands and pans era. And what I love most is when I came in we just finished we were just finishing up like we like the first year i was here uh, we finished up cutting everything down in this hands and pan style stuff and literally the week that we finished that process of like our thousand videos in the kin library facebook changed the algorithm and was like now we value watch time jeez mm -hmm. what does that sound like that sounds like youtube oh facebook wants longer content so they can sell ads into it so then i just turned around to my team as i start over again we're putting back up the long form talent driven stuff and seeing if it performs and it, it does like we mm -hmm. put up at this point carlos 15 minute videos on Facebook and it, they do great. Like it, it, it's just the life cycle of this industry. I love, but yeah, so we, uh, we were in the MCN space for a while. So at the same time, when we got the funding, like the, the funding was also kind of attached to, we became this MCN. Now to your point, we always stayed very boutique. Like this was never a company that was like, we're going to queue up 20,000 creators and, you know, not be able to offer them any services. I think we maxed out at one point at 100, 50 creators like we all always worked with very creators in the lifestyle space that we believed and at that point we also switched over to being uh, women's lifestyle content so when i joined it was kind of kind of at the end of the era i mean dude the writing was on the wall like the mcn model of taking a split of a split was just not going to be sustainable to be able to give enough services to make it worthwhile for the creators to stay. So they all started leaving a lot of, a lot of companies. And it was just very much, a way, very much uh, apparent that to make a profitable digital company, it was not going to be the MCM space. We actually still have somewhat of an MCN left. We have a lot of creators that just love working with us and we're happy to let them stay with us, but we're not, we don't actively go out and recruit people and our, our focus now is on a, a more of a digital studios business where we're creating great original IP that, you know, that can make you know, money across multiple platforms and, and in multiple ways. So about three years ago, we actually did our first experiment with celebrity driven content. So we uh, started a channel with a uh, woman named Tia Maori uh, from Sister Sister Fame. And oh, yes, I remember. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So it was a very interesting experience because I had had some bad experiences over my time working with television talent just they didn't understand digital they they thought that they were famous so they were going to go on and like there's not a correlation between being famous and having a good personality for youtube mm-hmm. um but we like tia got it she was great on camera she wanted to kind of connect with her audience and engage with her audience and it worked for us and we had a lot to offer her like with digital talent oftentimes you don't like they can shoot themselves they can do everything themselves they, they you might make their life easier but at the end of the day they don't really need you whereas with traditional talent they need like they're not going to have the time to put in the hours and hours of work that it takes to uh, to run a youtube channel by yourself mm-hmm. uh, or with a small team we full service top to bottom where you know we producer ideating with them a team to help them to, to shoot them a team that's doing all the this social media and making sure it goes out so at the end of the day like we shoot with our celebrity talent once a month and the end, then maybe we're texting back and forth and having some phone calls, but it's really flexible for their kind of current lifestyle. And for us, what I really found from a strategy side, which blew my, blew my mind, was if you found the right talent, it needs to be ones that have a great connection with their audience, have spent a lot of time building up this social presence and this social relationship. But with that, you can kind of cut the time down it takes to grow one of these channels to the point where you can very sustainably get enough deals in that makes the channel profitable and frankly in this industry profitable channels is like the holy grail like (laughs) every five years in this industry i've always been like yeah we'll figure out profitable business plan in like five years it's five years out and it felt like that five years has kept every year moving out being like no five years and this is the first time i can actually say no we have found something that is sustainable can make money for us and can make money for the talent that we work with and it feels great to have that kind of symbiotic relationship so since tia we've done a bunch more of these obviously some work some don't it's a creative industry so there's there's fails and there's there's losses but you know when they succeed like it's been great to be able to have these audiences that already love these people and be like hey you want to spend more time with them that's more than just hey here's an instagram pic or a uh, a 15 second Insta story about this. Like you're going to get to hang out with them every single week for 15 to 20 minutes. You're going to meet the family. You're going to meet your, their friends. You're going to see the closet. Like it's always the simple things. Do we do more complicated stuff? Yes. But what I always tell my talent is like the end of the day, people just want to hang out with you. Let them hang out with you. It's, it's so true that TV talent is sort of like, uh, looking at this space, they don't know how to approach it. Right. Nope. And I've, you know, Canada is a small market. So the, 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 the pool of TV talent looking at this space is very small and obviously, and then you think about the ones that actually get it and versus the ones that don't, then mm-hmm. that gets even smaller. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I've, you know, anybody in the YouTube business has had a meeting with somebody in the TV industry <laughs> And, oh yeah <laughs> you know they're like oh yeah um you know i've been doing this show for like 20 years but now all of a sudden the network doesn't want younger people and all that sort of stuff and i never thought about building a digital platform let me get into podcasting and i was like yeah so you're gonna have to figure that out i'm not gonna do that for you <laughs> and it's like if all you have is like you know uh 20, followers on twitter it's like yeah, I'm sorry. Like it's it's just and and all you did is just piggyback off the network sort of like promoting you and you're not really thinking about uh, long term. Anyways, it's it takes a different type of TV artist that's sort of like I guess more humble, I guess, right? And sort of understanding that I hate to use the word, but it's a different type of hustle, right? It's not uh yeah. show up, everything's taken care for you and then you're gone. It's uh, you guys have built that a little bit of that model, but they're much more involved and you sort of like slowly educating that them into the well i'm sure you're educating them in into like hey this is what what it takes and this is how much you get back from from paying attention to this right you know we're seeing it with a bunch of you know bigger big tv stars that are getting to the space that some get it and some don't you know i thought like jack black's effort on youtube was amazing i don't i don't watch him all the time but when i do i was like 
you know, it's so simple. It's, it's what we want. We want to be his best buddy and we just want to hang out with him. And then, you know, you see other examples like, and maybe that, this is a personal one, but like the rock, the rock feels like it's, it's an overproduction and it's trying to be too much of a show, but he might be just too big for the space at this point. Right. He doesn't need to do this. So everybody's sort of different, but I do think it's a great model that you guys have built with, uh, with this. You've worked with like, you know, when I say traditional, I would say traditional <laughs> YouTubers and sort of like now into sort of the TV side of things. And obviously over the years, their priorities evolve, right? They, they, you know, from like, I just want to make videos to like, I need a business. Is that sort of where things are sort of like, where you're hearing more discussions these days, where like they're building these, these ecosystems and trying to build something more than just like a popular YouTube channel? Right, right. I mean, it's really interesting when you look at it, like, because frankly, like, this is a very young industry. If you look at all, like, we've barely been around a blip in the eye. But Mm -hmm. even for that, like, there has been several generations of YouTubers. You know, it's been like, like, what, 15 years? And like, it, it is... Like there are generations you can think through kind of what that first OG generation was and what the second one is. And that second one, you know, is faded out and there's a third generation out there. And what I I, I find very interesting because I do remember distinctly thinking in the beginning of the stream, like, I wonder what the average lifespan is here. Like, how long can these kids actually make this run? And there's some of them that frankly have been um, Jenna Marbles, like she's still around people. Like she's been very savvy and she's known how to kind kind of ride the changes in the zeitgeist. Like, Look, there is a million monkeys and a million typewriters phenomena going on in this industry, right? Some people just happen to hit the zeitgeist at the right time. The ones that are savvy are able to figure out how to change with it. And and what I've kind of like, you know, I've seen like the two things that I would say for creators that if they're not thinking about this, like they're, they're not going to last. It's a, how do you make this into a sustainable business, both from a creative standpoint of how do I change with the changes that go on in the industry and also be, yeah, how do I make it so, you know, I can actually make this sustainable long-term. And then I also think last, I always tell these, these creators, like you have to treat this like a pro sports career. Like you're not, you know, like if you're, if you're playing video games online, you have no guarantees that somebody's going to want to watch you at 55 playing video games. (laughs) Like you have not done anything else. What is your long-term plan? Maybe don't buy that mansion in Malibu. Like, because you might need that money in 15 years and you've never worked in an actual business setting. Like I have to teach them what a conference call line is, right? Like they're (laughs) going to have to think long-term about this. And I'm starting to see that. That is more of a like a a typical given in this industry whereas like 10 years ago like these kids were not thinking about this at all like this is going to go on forever i'm always going to be famous everything's going to be easy if i if i burn out on youtube i'm just you know like things turned to gold when i was 18 now that i'm 28 it's still going to turn to gold and i think there's been a lot of kind of a reality shift in this industry for for the creators themselves that, that to, to kind of come to the realization that no that's not how this works i need to be looking at this long term rather than you know the grind and we know it's a grind in youtube that they have to go and go and go and, and look at how do i make this sustainable rather than how do i maximize my immediate views yeah, it's um, uh, you, you. You sort of like gave me this sort of flashback of like, you know, uh, I would say four or five years ago when I was really, really like going to the YouTube meetups and all that sort of stuff. And within six months, I felt like I knew like every six months, I felt like I didn't know anybody anymore. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I would show up like a, 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 the Toronto used to have a YouTube space. It doesn't have anymore, right. but I would. Sh- I went there, you know, two, three years in a row, and it's like you'd go to their meetups, and it's like, who the hell are all, the, all these people? <laughs> and it's yeah. like, where are my friends? They've moved on, or they moved to LA, and Damn all that up, sort of right? stuff. Right? Yeah, I know. It's it it it's interesting, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. like if I, I'm even, I even see parallels in how YouTube has been viewing content in their platform over the past year versus how they were viewing it the two or three years before that, right? They yeah. went into this huge, we now have an AI that's going to figure maximize watch time. We're just going to let it go. And in the past year talking to them, it's been really interesting. There's become a, a much bigger awareness that what maximizes views short term is not the same thing that 
drives audience loyalty and watch time in the long term, right? Mm -hmm. And I see, I've been trying, you know, like I've been seeing and I'm hoping to see more of this realization among creators as well, because it's very easy to get caught up in. And you see, I think in that second generation of YouTubers, a lot of them died because of this. This is what ruined their, not going to name any names, but you would see them get so anxious about their view count that they would find the one thing that works and they would hammer it over and over again. And I did a great job bringing the, in those unsubscribed eyeballs, but the subscribers like I've watched the same video every week for the last six months. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm yeah. out of here. And then that of course then just makes it. So the nail grooms like, Oh, their audience, it doesn't like anymore. I'm not going to show it to any new people. And then they get into this vicious cycle. So I'm hoping that they come to the same realization that YouTube came to in the past year or so, which is like, oh, we need to be more careful. We need to look at signals that that indicate long-term audience satisfaction, not just what gets most of the most watch time in this short period of time on the platform. And it's harder because that data is a lot harder to parse, but that's yeah. one of the things I've been really working with creators on recently is like, here's the signals you can look at that tells you that your audience is happy and you're not just getting a lot of new people in who aren't going to stick around and are just there for the viral thing. And in the long term, you're going to be worse off in the end. I'm one of those people that criticizes from the sidelines. And I you know, <laughs> then then I realize it's like, oh, I just need and, and it's a bad habit. But it's obvious for us now. I wasn't obvious at the time. But it's really interesting to see how many channels have just like, you know, they found that model, they stuck to it. And then for some reason, you never thought about evolving. And mm -hmm. one thing that nobody seems to understand is like, yes, this is a much longer play than TV and TV, you know, no matter what, like with the exception of the Simpsons, like a show ends, your audiences ages up. And, you know, a lot of these YouTubers grew up with, you know, became famous with very young audiences who were really entertained about that specific type of content you're making. That audience has grown up. The platform has grown up as well. So it's interesting to see how many creators didn't understand that. And, and then other ones have evolved with their audience and, and changed their content and, you know, flourished by doing that. That's one of the, the things that I also, you know, I've asked a bunch of our guests is like, what do they think? why YouTube stands to the test of time. And that is because the content keeps evolving, the audience keeps changing, and uh, you know everybody's experimenting at the same time. And it's still like this big experimentation that everybody's thinks they figure it out until they until six months later, they're like, oh crap, it's not the same anymore. <laughs> We've talked about this, but like obviously you you're paying attention to the ecosystem, you know, what's happening out there and what, you know, we tend to be a little bit focused on, on the YouTube side of things. And I want to sort of sometimes have a conversation about the stuff we're not paying attention to. Yes, TikTok's getting a lot of attention. But is there a platform that you think creators are just not really, or it's just not getting the, the brunt of like the, the media attention or everybody's not paying attention, but at the same time is a really good audience development tool and really good monetization tool, whichever way you want to sort of present it. Okay. So let me disclaimer first that I am just as guilty as anyone else. I, we are not playing on this platform at all at this point, but we probably should be. It is what I think is the dark horse of the social media world that gets almost no attention, which is Pinterest. I knew it. <laughs> uh, disclaimer, we do work on the same floor as Pinterest in a WeWork, but that's not the reason I'm promoting them. <laughs> it's They are the third largest social media platform. Like the third, just my, think about that. They just passed Snapchat in 2019 and mm -hmm. none of us talk about them. We're not, we're not getting on this pod podcast talking about like, what is your Pinterest strategy this year? Like none of us do. I think part of that has been, we're video people. Their video has been traditionally atrocious. Like I know that they're starting to do video. We tried it and it was like, this is kind of difficult. And I'm sure it's gotten better in the last nine months, but we just have been so focused on the things that we know. We haven't spent the time to really say work with it or work with them to be like, how do we make this product better? Because the audience is there, especially for a company like us, who our main audience is women 25 plus. Like, where are all those women? They are all on freaking Pinterest. And like, nobody pays any attention to it, you know, partly because it's, it's not the sexy platform. It's also not to, it, it, but it is true that what 
a bunch of 35 year old women. Like it's not this thing that most of the news business is going to be like, we should be talking about that. It's, it's all about what are the kids doing these days? And, and it's just such a powerful platform. Like so many people are using it and love it and use it for everything. It seems like we as an industry could find ways to utilize it more and or work with Pinterest to get it to the place where we could utilize it more. I I could not agree more. I still have this like habit of like whenever I want to sort of like put something in a list or or like see a product that I want to remember later on to use Pinterest. And my, you know, I, I have a personal sort of like annoyance with it because I feel Pinterest to, to be a little too sort of like hungry whenever I put like their, their extensions on my computer. And it's like, you want to pin this, please pin this, you know, like type of situation. <laughs> and it's like, it annoys the crap out of me. And it's like, that's usually why I don't use it as much, but that's my personal thing. But yeah, I mean, I completely get it. Like when I was doing a lot of marketing, like I was experimenting on every single new platform and I experimented a lot on Pinterest. And for some really dumb reason, I used to pin everything on Pinterest and, um, my profile gets tens of thousands of impressions a month for some, I must have one pin that just is driving that and I'm just not paying attention to it. But yeah, like again, nobody's using it. Nobody's paying attention to it. I mean, no, obviously people are using it, but nobody's like talking about it as like nothing goes viral on Pinterest, right? Nobody right, thinks of it right. that way, right? So, and stuff does go viral on Pinterest. It's just, they just don't, they just do it a different way, right? And I personally think, a lot of like the media ecosystem is very sort of obsessed with what the kids are doing, but mm -hmm. what the adults are doing is actually where all the money's really to be made, right? Like everybody talks mm -hmm. about like, oh yeah, that's, you know, the audience is the kids. I'm just like, yeah, the kids have some sort of like, you know, power in terms of influencing their parents to, to buy stuff. And there is a lot of science about like imp imp imprinting brands into younger, younger adults, all that sort of stuff. Yes. Okay, fine. But like the people that are actually spending the money are 25 and up or 35 yeah. and up and, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. They're the ones buying the cars and, and the advertising money that you see from companies that are trying to reach those people are exorbitantly higher than your startup trying to reach your uh, mondays.com <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. of this world who are trying to hit as many young people as possible anyways that's that's my little tangent on why you know pinterest doesn't get enough love i was going to try to end that one, that one but i have another one that i wanted to sort of Ooh. run by you because you tweeted about it and i was like oh Gwen doesn't tweet much. I, I need to get better at that. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, in this ecosystem, we're always thinking about like how to make money. And obviously, YouTube's, you know, uh, AdWords and they're experimenting with tons of things. And having worked at many companies who've built significant channels, the question always ends up as like, how do we start selling our own ads? Right. And it's like, mm. I, I literally every single company I've worked in, it's like, oh, we now do, you know, a million impressions a month or 10 million impressions a month. Like, can we start selling this ourselves? And I'm like, nope, YouTube won't let us do that. If the only people, mm -hmm. the only people who can really do that are people who have an inventory of a hundred million and up and have a sales team and all that sort of stuff. So recently, and I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, recently YouTube announced that they're going to start letting creators be able to sell their own pre-roll ads. Obviously, a lot of creators, even companies that I work with, are like, huzzah, how do we get on this? But obviously, it's not going to happen tomorrow. But you're, you know, you felt a little critical of that tweet. So what's what's your thoughts? Good idea? Feasible? Uh, you know, I'm a person who I'm just obsessed with log logistics. Like, that's the first thing I'm going to ask with anything is like, how is this going to work? And now, like, YouTube has made it work. This sort of stuff work in the past. Like, they let almost everyone who's of a certain size and has good quality content that's brand safe, they let them monetize, which back in the day was that was like, a, how the heck they're going to do that? Like everyone in the world can make money off of YouTube. Like that's going to be a, a accounting nightmare. And so I'm sure they're, they're going to figure it out and it's going to be great, but it does strike me a little bit as 
I just don't know how that's going to work logistically. Like there's a reason they started out, they started the MCN model, right? For YouTube, it made perfect sense back in the day. They, it was going to take them a long time to figure out monetization. Let's find a bunch of partner uh, uh, companies so we can teach how to do it once. And then they're responsible for like administering it. And that's how that kind of started. I think YouTube at this point is going to go straight to everybody in the world can do this. And I just want to know, and I, I want to hound my, my contacts at YouTube, like, how are you going to do this? Like, <laughs> what is the logistics here? How are you going to make sure that everyone is selling things that is, that is approved by you? How is that going to get into the, into the, uh, the fold? How is that ad split going to work? Like, how are you going to make sure that you get your cuts and that you're not infringing on your own inventory that you're selling? And then this follow-up question to that is, Facebook, can you just let companies sell their own ads at some point? And then we'll be really happy, right? Yeah. Uh, that's because you're right. That's all we want is like, how do we sell our own ads? Like, you know, Facebook, like YouTube figured this out 10 years ago. Like, come on, let's, let's have it. We want it. <laughs> it's very true. I've had so many meetings with like, you know, providers and, and people who, you know, are double click certified and all that sort of stuff. I'm outside that ecosystem. Like I've never worked at a big enough company that has that. So I've always sort of wondered about that. It's been a question that any sort of like channel that hits a specific threshold starts asking. So I'm not really surprised that they're going to try to do it. I'm just, you know, just, uh, uh, to me, the, the, the logistically is not where I'm interested in. I'm interested about like the cut and how much, you know, is it going to be like mm -hmm. a Teespring model where it's like, I can just say like, I want $40 CPMs and that's it. And then YouTube right. just gets a flat one on their end. Uh, all that sort of stuff is going to be interesting to figure out. So Gwen, and this one, we didn't prep for this one. So this is another one. What's exciting Ooh. you these days? What's exciting you in terms of like platforms, uh, formats, uh, creators, opportunities? Like what's what's out there that you're like oh man that's going to be awesome in like a year i mean frankly like this industry the last couple of years has been harsh <laughs> like, <laughs> sitting sitting your kid and just looking around it's like i feel like we're in some sort of action movie where we're like dodging like meteorites hitting the earth because like literally people these companies are falling left and right or maybe they're at least getting maimed and having an arm you know like blown off like mm -hmm. it has been like a full-on action adventure in this industry for the last couple of years and you know this is going to sound pollyanna again and it, but i do feel like i think that we are hitting the point where it's going to start moving back the other way. There was a lot of things in our industry that, you know, weren't working and we've all been working very hard to figure them out. And I, I, I just feel like what we're going to see over the next couple of years in what all these companies and the new the new companies that kind of rise out of the ashes here is going to make for it what is going to be the long term digital industry. Like I, I think on a solid footing, where, where as we're starting to see CPI, CPMs continue to rise as kind of the convergence of TV and digital completes, and we start seeing those TV CPMs move over to digital. And my dream, like my holy grail moment, is when the TV CPMs hit digital, and you could support a great digital team making great digital content that an audience loves just off of ads like just like tv where you can just be like you make great pieces of content you find an audience that loves it that's big enough great you get to be able to make money and make more of the stuff you love that's all any of us want in this industry at the end of the day none of us wants to be doing this churn and burn of trying to figure out more and crazier ways to make money. We just want to be able to make money by making great content for a great audience. And I feel like I swear that we are on the cusp of that. It's going to be in the next five years, Carlos. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. I believe there are many companies out there that are experimenting, that are doing uh, good things, building new IPs on on these platforms, and building a model that you know is sustainable for the, for both them and the creator. So, and it also feels like it's it's more of an equal footing for creators at the same time. Like that, a lot more of them are going to be able to create like 
different mm-hmm. non-mainstream content that you know does really well, right? And and is profitable uh, versus somebody who has to pitch up to a TV network that you know only you know one show gets green light. A TV network no longer gives a show chance to grow, right? There's no mm-hmm. such thing as um, I forget. There's so many stories of TV shows where they're you know on the brink of being canceled after one or two seasons, and then for some reason they get another season, and all of a sudden it blows up, and then they're like you know, mm-hmm. they turn into nine season extravaganza. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely feels like we're just on a cup. I think, I think we should bet, put all our money on Quibi right now. So you know, you know, that meme of, of like Michael Jackson eating popcorn. Uh-huh. That's me watching the shit show that is that is Quibi right now. And it's like so gonna be so int- sorry for, for tangenting on this, but it's sort of like this thing where it's like to me, the reason why everybody wants to see this and I, when I say everybody, I say me, um wants to see this fail is the uh, presumptuous of of the people building it, of like, yeah, we're X person, people are going to come to our platform because it's us. And it's like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. So that's, that's my two cents on that, that ecosystem. But yeah, I'll, I'll won't get too deep on that one. I, I mean, look, this is the, this, the, I was that, I was that a meme a couple years ago with go 90. Like, yes. it, I think there is all, one of those in play at, at any given time where True. again, logistically, I'm just sitting here thinking, we just barely have gotten to the point where we could make low cost unscripted programming profitable. Like you're going to do how much time is more expensive than that. And do you think you're going to get enough people to pay for it? Like I would love to be proven wrong. Cause I do feel like, you know, when I was at discovery, um, that was when new form was launched co-pro between discovery and imagine entertainment and like they've tried they've been trying for years to make like scripted work in the digital ecosystem and i want to see uh scripted work in a short form digital ecosystem uh not you know not just long form on like netflix and hulu i would love Mm -hmm. that like the lizzie bennett diaries is actually something kin did back in the day and when i was at discovery was like my favorite thing on earth and you know like i thought that was like the beginning of this whole like vibrant ecosystem of you know creator led like unscripted uh, scripted and it just really hasn't happened so would i theoretically like it to work i just don't believe like from my experiences that it will work and if if both you and i are being proven wrong in a year that's yeah. a great thing for the industry but like i just it, it's hard for me to me to believe that to your point like that all it was going to take again I've had a lot of experience with television people who are just like, you know, what digital needs is my television expertise. And then suddenly it's going to be so much better. And there's going to be millions of people watching my content and it is yet to happen. And maybe this is the year that it does, but I'm not holding my breath. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I, you know, again, just, to, to end that note, uh, I'm always a uh, sucker for the little guy coming in that nobody expected and just like sh- showing everybody how it's done. So rather than the big guy coming in and, and sort of thinking right, that right. they can do that. So I'm hoping and that's a startup how it's going to be. There. Yeah. Yep. Like the the net the, the 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 Spielberg of short form Spielberg of short form digital is out there somewhere. Yeah, it's and not Spielberg. we'll just be all excited. Well, yeah, we we will discover him in the next five in the next five years. <laughs> That's going to be our title in the next five years with no, Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Gwen. What's the best place for people to sort of engage with you? I mean, frankly, follow me on LinkedIn. Like that's okay. the place where, like, I always forget to post it on Twitter, but it, it'll it, the stuff goes up on LinkedIn much more consistently. Yes, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time, and uh, looking forward to someday. Uh, I say this to a lot of our guests: someday to just hang out and have a drink. That would be amazing. Awesome. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Again, a big thank you to Gwen for stopping, uh, well, for coming on the on show with me. And we had to sort of like jump around a few times to get her on. But uh, I'm really happy I finally got to talk to her. Uh, Tom, what did you think of my uh, interview skills? Oh, well, they're, they're <laughs> second to none. We know this. That's why you're interviewing and I'm just giving backup comments. You know, I'm the, the side dish to the 
entree that you are. But um, yeah, no, a great interview. And um, just like so many parallels between like Gwen's career and mine, you know, studied film at, at college, career in the TV industry, pretty much along the same lines, following the whole process of like from ideas to publishing and really tr trying to change people's mindsets from, uh, you know, traditional TV going into big, especially me with the BBC, big kind of traditional corporate dinosaurs of media and trying to bring them into the digital age really interested and you know even though she started a little bit before me on uh on youtube in 2011 i, I started in 2012 and uh i was also working on those funded channels those glory years when youtube were handing out insane amounts of money for these original channels which uh they have since kind of wiped any evidence that that ever happened off the face of the earth. So yeah, lots and lots of parallels. So I was actually getting really kind of like nostalgic. I was listening to it in the gut, listening to the interview in the garden. And uh, earlier in the day I'd speak, I'd spoken to an old friend of mine from the BBC days and it just brought back so many good memories of like my early days in on YouTube and working with the BBC and just being scrappy and testing everything. And, yeah, good times. I, I do miss those days, but very much followed this, the same path as, as Gwen and uh, agreed with a lot of stuff she said. Yeah, I have to say I do miss the uh, early scrappy days of like nobody knows what you're doing and nobody really cares. So <laughs> don't really yeah. mess with your stuff. And it's like, oh, I can try these things. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's that thing that's like they don't care until you start making money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I nearly, I nearly fell out of my seat when she mentioned that she had worked with Tia from Sister Sister. Like, oh my god, talk about <laughs> talk about like teenage crush number. One. Well, you know, I'll be honest, number two behind Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. But is, yeah. is your wife in sharing your office with you right now? Well, she's sharing it, but not at this second in time. <laughs> uh, well, I have got a little. Awesome. Uh, well, I do. I have some Saved by the Bell Funko Pops around the office, so she she knows she knows. Uh, yeah, so it's so jealous. You know, I've met you know some. You know, I'd say I've 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 been party to some amazing opportunities and met some people and done some things like working at the BBC and gone behind the scenes at some shows that fans would absolutely kill for. You know, yeah. Um, but I'd swap them all to film here <laughs> yeah, from sister to sister. <laughs> Without a doubt. I find, I find it interesting when, uh, because, you know, I can't say I'm, you know, around famous people, but I've been, I've met a couple of like TV actors and stuff like that and, or, and, and, and creators. And I tend to be very, uh, not intimidated, but more like, um, I just don't want to make it a big deal, you know, that type of situation. Yeah. And, and then sometimes I, I know people that I was like, you know them? And I was like, yeah, they're, you know, they're just regular people. And, uh, and then people are like, what? It's amazing. I was like, all right, well, yeah, I was, you know, I go to a lot of conferences and stuff and I've been in rooms with all of the, the biggest YouTubers on the planet. I did fanboy Hank Green once, but then I learned my lesson. And, uh, since then I've pretty much just, I'm just not phased, but. Oh, oh I want to hear this. Like, what's the lesson that you learned? Oh, just don't, be a, just don't be a complete nerd. But you just realize that, you know, they're just normal people. And yeah. if you had time, just talk to them like, you know, just have, have a chat with them like they're normal people because they are normal of people. Of course. And they love yeah, talking yeah, about this nerdy stuff. That's why they're there. That's what they do all day. Um, but, yeah, never, never sister-sister level. But um, <laughs> yeah, another, a, a few other couple of things that really interested me, Pinterest, I've been hearing people go on about it and on about it and on about it. My good friend, Kristen Hills talks about it all the time. She's a real expert in it. And I know she gets tons of traffic from Pinterest. So it's kind of been on my to-do list, but this is really going to give me a rocket up the backside to, to do that. Yep. She spoke about like a dream world where CPMs would cover like full on TV productions keep dreaming <laughs> we all dream of that but it's so far away from that reality i think unfortunately until like until like you say we can sell our own and then you might you might be able to do that yeah i think that's such a um a weird thing to want because i, I tend to learn industries from the ground up and i tend you know even the tv industries i'm still like very learning a lot and uh, you know no production is is funded by one person right? By one thing. It's usually funded by three to four to five different revenue streams, right? And, 
Yeah. So to expect, uh, you know, specifically advertising to pay for for content is unrealistic. So obviously, YouTubers, you know, YouTubers who don't pay themselves to create content and build huge audiences have done it, but nobody that has a company can do it sustainably, you know, uh, for very long. Or you know, unless again, unless somebody spent blood, sweat, and tears for five years to build a a, a huge audience that's ingrained. That's a different dynamic then. And even then you're still working on the razor's edge and you can quickly lose that, you know, that, that amount of money if you base yourself on only one thing. So I speak to a lot of independent production companies. A lot of them will say, Oh, can we get on the phone? I've got an idea. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I know, I know what's going on. <laughs> and um often it's like, okay, yeah, well, we tried to sell this into tv station x and they didn't want it blah 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 we talked we've talked we spoke to netflix blah 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 um so we think instead of just taking it straight to youtube and i'm just like yeah but you realize you can't just upload like the 12 episodes you've made to youtube and hope people are going to watch it like that's not how youtube works it's it's not like build it and they will come like you need to post unless you've got you know 104 episodes and you can publish one a week i don't really see this as a a, a feasible idea so yeah I, that model is unfortunately um kind of way way off yep yep all right let's uh close up this show thank you uh once again gwen for coming on the show we hope to have you back again and hope to hang out whenever we're allowed to go outside again please make sure to follow her on the links that uh, we'll put in the show notes if you enjoyed this episode, please, please give us a five-star. We only accept five-star reviews on Yield Apple Podcasts. Recommend this to uh, colleagues that uh, would be interested into our little world of uh, online creators, YouTube channels, YouTube management ecosystem. Uh, before we head out, obviously, we want to give a big thank you to uh, our friends at TubeBuddy who are creating a lot of content these days to help the community, to get everybody onboarded and understand how YouTube is, you know, how to optimize their YouTube channels. Make sure you're following TubeBuddy on social. They are consistently creating webinars, live streams, and they have an awesome Discord channel that you can join and, and, and participate with the community. They also have great old school forums. I love forums. For some reason, I just, you know, I miss the days of online forums on websites. So I love, I love the forums. Totally, I agree. I just wish the rest <laughs> of the world would think that way, but unfortunately I think that those days are Yeah, exactly. You can get an exclusive multi-channel discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy and huge thanks again, TubeBuddy. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Stay safe. Stay home.